Welcome to the weekly podcast of Upper Room Christian Fellowship in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you for listening. Will you stand for the reading of the Word of God? Found in Romans chapter 5. Starting at verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into the grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, my prayer is this morning that all of us would grab hold of a truth, Lord, a truth that many times and for most of us we leave the wayside. We don't fathom, we don't grasp, we don't hold on to. Lord, give us eyes to see. Help us to understand that faith truly is by those things that were spoken by you. For the hearing of the word of God brings forth faith. Bring forth faith, Lord, that we may see and understand and know. And to be able to begin to comprehend a truth this morning. A truth that can really change our lives. That can conform and transform. Can make us into the men and women of God that you've called us to be. But help us to grasp this truth this morning. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I could play it over and over and over again in my imagination. I used to do it all the time. Oh, it's probably no big to you. But you can relate. Why? Because you probably did the same thing. Oh, maybe not the names are the same or the the imagination was the same, but you did imagine something. See, I could see myself laying in bed and just imagining. Imagining that there's a baseball game that I'm partaking in. But it's not just any baseball game. You see, it's the Los Angeles Dodgers. And see, the Los Angeles Dodgers are losing by three runs, but the bases are loaded and there's two outs. And I could hear it. And see, the Dodgers uh, PA announcer had this big, deep voice. I mean, we always... My brothers and I, we always imitated it, but it was something like this. And I could just hear it. I could hear it in my ears, laying in that bed. Now batting for the Los Angeles Dodgers, number seven, Luke Covington. And the crowd roars. And then Vince Scully, which you probably don't know, but he's a Hall of Fame announcer. Vince Scully, in that just golden voice of his, would say, Well, would you believe it? Of all the circumstances, of all the situations, here he comes. And the crowd is anticipating this man coming up because there's nobody else you would want up in this situation except for Luke the Duke. But then it gets dramatic. See, it gets down to three and two and I keep fouling off the pitches. But then the inevitable happens. He throws it right down the pipe and I yank it over the left field fence. And the crowd goes crazy. And then I hear this voice, Luke, time for dinner. And it stops. Why? Why do we have these dreams of imagination of grandeur? Fame. 
Notoriety. Why? And then as we get older, most of us are disappointed. There's no professional team in Nebraska, folks. There's no way they're going to... No, no, not the Salt Dogs and not the other team. No, those aren't baseball teams. See, dreams end in some ways. Disappointment arises. Are you disappointed this morning? Are you disappointed in your life? Are you disappointed in your kids and your marriage? Are you disappointed in your job? Are you disappointed this morning? Are you disappointed with your walk with the Lord? See, if we're honest with each other, a lot of times we were plagued with disappointment. And it should not be so. If you come with me this morning, and if your heart is open, and if you are willing to receive what the Word of God has for each of us, then each of us should walk out this morning victorious. See, we learned something last week, and if you weren't here, I'm just going to go over quickly the first four points that we learned really Truly is that we've been declared righteous in Christ. We've been accepted in Christ. We've been granted access as sons and daughters in Christ. We stand in His grace, His favor. We understand something. God truly likes us. We rejoice in the hope of the glory that has been given to us in God. That we are being transformed. That we are being transformed into the image of Christ. And yet a lot of us still feel Disappointed. But if you look at verse 5, it says, Now hope does not disappoint. See, it's the expectation of good. And that good comes from a good God who never disappoints. But still, we have to ask the question, Are we disappointed? Now, there was a woman at the well, and you know the story. She's drawing water in the afternoon, in the midday, and it's not typical for a woman. But why is she doing it by herself? Because more than likely, she wasn't accepted by the other women. Why? Well, she was married five times. But Jesus came for her. And as he stood by the well, he said, Give me a drink. And the Samaritan woman says, wait a minute, you you are asking me, a Samaritan, for a drink? And Jesus says something to her that should shake our hearts too. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And she said, wait a minute, are you greater than Jacob who dug this well? You have no bucket. How are you getting water out of this? How's this working? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. 
And then she said the words that you and I would say, give me this water so that I would not thirst again. Because I'm tired of the work that I have to do of going during the day, midday, when everybody knows that women come in the morning and the evening, and here I am in the heat of the day drawing water, and I have to walk. It's not like with us. We turn on the water, and it's there. No, they walked and they carried the water. And Jesus, again, knowing that she's not getting the point, he says, call your husband. She said, I have no husband. She said, he said, you answer correctly. You've been married five times. You've been looking to feel the satisfied, the thirst in your heart by looking for love. The man. To complete you. To tell you that you are worth something. To say that you are loved. To say that you are something. You are thirsty for a truth that all of us, human speaking, desire. And that is to be filled. To be accepted. To be loved. And you've looked for it and you are disappointed. So then he says to her, The hour is coming and the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. I know what you're thirsty for. I know what your heart really longs for. You long for the One who created you and you don't know it. You long for the One that will satisfy you and you don't know it. You long for the one that will fulfill your thirst, and yet you do not know it. What are we thirsty for? A few chapters later, Jesus is at a feast, and it's the Feast of Tabernacles, also known as the Feast of Ingathering. See, it was a feast that would remember something. They would build these booths. And the booths had to have enough space in them, or tents, if you will. Tents made out of, of, of branches and leaves, okay? And there would have to be enough um, opening in the thatchet that they would be able to see the sun and the stars at night. And see, it represented it again of the God of eternity, that in the day and night that God provided for them in the wilderness, giving them their sustenance, their food, their water, their clothing would not wear out, that God provided for them, that God gave them drink. See, what would happen too is that they would be thirsty and God would provide. They would be hungry and God would provide not only manna from heaven, but also quail and everything else. But it also represented something else. It was the ingathering. Because see, this was the time of the harvest. So it was a celebration of not only God's provision in the past, but God's provision today, but also for God's provision in the future. And see, to celebrate this, what would happen is the priests would go down to the Pool of Salaam, pull out some water, and then there would be this great procession as they would march and come. And the people would continue to recite, Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And then they would come to the altar and they would pour it out. And then the last day of the feast, they would make this procession, but go around the altar seven times. 
And again, they would be saying, therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Can you see the procession? Can you see the pageantry? Can you see the big deal? As the people would then sing Hallel, Psalms 113 to 118. And then after that, on that last day, on after, right after they poured it out, there was a voice crying out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The one who can satisfy is standing here before you. The one that will quench your thirst is the one that cries out now. The one that has provided in the past is now the one that stands before you. Because see, what would happen is in the wilderness is that they would thirst. And one time they were saying, we're thirsty. There's no water. There's nothing here. And God instructed Moses, take your staff and go to the rock and strike it. And then water will pour out. And sure enough, as the people watched, Moses took his staff, smacked the rock, and water started gushing out. Well, again, time lapse. Again, the people thirst. They said, we're thirsty. There's no water here. We're in the wilderness. It's hot. We need water. So they're frustrating Moses and Moses once again went to God and God said, okay, well, no big deal, Moses. Go to the rock, but don't strike it. Speak to the rock and the water will gush forth. Moses being upset smacked the rock again. and The water came pouring out. Why was that so significant? Because Paul explains to us And all who drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Stricken with our sins, stricken with our punishment to fulfill a thirst in your heart and my heart. But now speak to Him and water gushes forth into your life and my life. Hear the Word of God. Hear the truth that everyone should understand. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me, he says, and drink. In Psalm 105:41, it says, He opened the rock and water gushed out and it ran in dry places like a river. In Isaiah 55:1, it says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Yes, come Buy wine and milk without money and without price. I've come to fulfill the thirst that you're longing for in your heart. I've come to satisfy that which you cannot. Solomon in Proverbs gives us wisdom and understanding. Listen, he says, The spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord. Searching all the inner depths of the heart. Is your heart longing this morning? Is your heart desiring something deeper? But it's interesting because, again, going back to that song, um, that passage in John of 37, or excuse me, of 7, he said this. He said, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, but this He spoke concerning the Spirit, 
whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. It was the Spirit that he was speaking of. It was the Spirit that we really long for. In Titus chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Paul writes, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. See, the Lord came to satisfy your need and my need. And how He satisfied it was going to the cross. Knowing that He would be stricken for your sin and my sin. Knowing that that's what our heart pain is. Is me. My failure. My sin. And now He says, speak forth and the water will gush in your heart. What is that? It's the Holy Spirit given to you. Given to you. Paul will go on to say in Romans, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again of fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Daddy, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are Children of God. Galatians chapter 4 goes on to say, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. The longing truly is of God, but it's in His home. And it's His glorified state. But the Spirit has been given to us as a guarantee. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22 says, Now, He who establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee that the living God now resides in you. Think for just a moment. The Spirit of the living God is in you. Now let's go back to Romans chapter 5. Verse 5. Now the hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts By the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Everything you long for. Everything you desire has been given to us through Christ. In His Spirit. And His love has now been poured out. Or gushed out. In the Greek it has been completed. In the past. Once and for all. Not needing to be repeated. God's love has been poured completely into you. There's no earning it. There's no making more love of God. No, all of it has been poured out into you. It's all there. Every inch of His love. But is it actually something that you can weigh? John goes on to say this in his epistle. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. 
Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. He's at home in him. He is in him. And he is God's. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God. And God in him. Love has been perfected among us. Is this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love has cast out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love Him because He first loved us. God's love for nothing. And nothing, as Romans 8 says, can separate us from His love. Nothing. Tozer says this, His love has no beginning because it is eternal. His love has no end because it's infinite. It has no limit because He is holy. It is the quintessence of spotless purity because He is immense. His love is incomprehensible. It's vast. It's bottomless. It's shoreless sea before which we kneel in joyful silence from which the loftiest eloquence retreats confused and bashed. God's love for us is incomprehensible. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul writes that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints. That word comprehend, it means to lay hold of so as to make one's own. That you may grasp this and make it your own. That you may with all the saints Understand what is the width, the length, the depth, the height. To know. That word know means to learn to know, to perceive, to feel. The love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. J.I. Packer writes this. What matters supremely, therefore, is not in the last analysis the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it. that He knows me. I am graven on the palm of His hands. I'm never out of His mind. All of my knowledge of Him depends on His sustained initiative in knowing me. I know Him because He first knew me. And continues to know me. He knows me as a friend. One who loves me. And there is no moment which his eye is off me. Or his attention distracted from me. And no moment therefore where he cares. His care falters. This is momentous knowledge. There is unspeakable comfort. In knowing that God is constantly taking knowledge of me. And love. And watching over me for my good. There is tremendous relief in knowing that his love is utterly realistic. 
based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery now can disillusion him about me in the way I am so often delusioned about myself and quenched his determination to bless me. You dreamed of it. You fantasized about it. Most everybody does. To find somebody else that would love you for who you are. Not to judge you, but to enhance you, to strengthen you, to encourage you, to be your other half. To be the person that would love you no matter what. Through death do you part. A love of another. And so many of us have found that, but then there's so many that have not. But to realize that love relationship with, with another person, it takes work. It's hard to struggle. Why? Because you have to embrace somebody that is sinful and they too have to embrace you. That is sinful, not perfect, struggles. See, the thing that you learn to say in a marriage is, I'm sorry, forgive me. And the reality of it, you say it a lot to each other. You forgive each other. It's what love does. But what are we to do with God? To forgive Him? For what? For loving us? For loving us with seeing everything about us in our wickedness. In fact, we'll go on in verse 8 to find out that He commanded His love towards us and that while we were enemies of God, that He loved us. He pursued us. He found us, like it says, I believe in Isaiah, that you were naked, that you were unclothed, or maybe it was Hosea, and still He loved you. He clothed you. He bathed you. Though He was speaking of Israel, He's also speaking of us. That His love is incomprehensible. Why? Because why would He love us? See, we're trying to earn a love. We're trying to earn a love, but we find that love, again, so faltering. Why is it? Why is it such a struggle? Because if you will, it began with Satan. Does that shock you? See, Satan, Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground because you have fallen from heaven. You who weaken the nations, for you have said in your heart, listen, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most God. And then in the garden, he took this lie, this deception, and he presented it to Eve. And he said to the woman, you will surely not die. You will surely not die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, the thing is, is that's the problem of mankind is that we're still trying to pursue that great love they say and that is 
the love of oneself. Well, I'm here to tell you that is exactly what Satan wants you to think. It's all about how you feel about yourself. Do you accept yourself? Are you disappointed with yourself? Do you exactly love yourself? And if you said no, then you are not telling the truth. For Jesus even said, love your neighbor as yourself because it's a given. You love yourself. And if you will, this may be a shock to most of you, but most suicides are because of love for oneself and they're disappointed in themselves. They hate themselves per se. Why? Because they're not measuring up to what they've envisioned of themselves to be and that you should like them and you're not liking them and they want to get out of this world and get away from the pain regardless of what happens with you and the loss of them. I know that sounds maybe mind-boggling to you, blowing you away, but again, it is a love that we cannot separate from unless you and I find that satisfaction in the knowing God says, I love Nobody else's love matters. I find worth in you. I pour all my love in you. And it's up to you to discover, comprehend, to know that love. Can you imagine what would happen to you and me if we grasp the truth that God's love isn't dependent on me? Except for me, as I received Christ, I just accept His love. Wait a minute, you said, but that's dangerous. Why? Because if we do that, won't that mean that then we'll just kind of go off and just do our own thing? Because God is love and God loves me. He loves everything I do. No, because you still don't get it. See, that's what quenches and grieves the Spirit. Grieving the Spirit happens when we sin. In fact, if you will, listen for just a moment. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now he gets into this list. Let, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. See, that mindset doesn't allow the love of God to be poured out of our hearts and lives. That it squishes God's love down. It's the only thing that God allows to quench His love in our hearts is ourselves. Me! I quench it. I grieve His Spirit who desires to continually tell me, I love you. It's settled. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to manifest it except receive it, accept it, that you are loved. But God, I'm not doing what I want to do. No, you don't get it. I've changed everything. I've given you something that's mind-boggling, that your eye cannot comprehend, your heart does not understand. I've given you heaven. 
I've given you life. I've given you love. I've given you grace. I've given everything to you. I gave you my son. All you have to say is yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. What that would do to you and me, that if we already got the thirst quenched, if we already had the purpose of my life is in Him, and not in hitting home runs, not in being the man that I want people to perceive or see me as, or the woman. It's not how you see me, it's how God has declared this to be true. That I am loved. And that the trials and the tribulations and the struggles of life that I go through are for God to manifest that love in and through me. What? Yes. Success and failure are two of the same coin. It's accepting myself in Christ. Not in this world. I am loved. With a love that's incomprehensible. That you can't measure. That you can't weigh. You can't earn. A love that is so grand and so great, it satisfies. It fulfills. It quenches everything else. It causes joy where there is grief. It causes peace where there is chaos. It causes an understanding that I'm accepted, that I have access, that I'm a son and daughter or daughter, that He desires me to come boldly. Desires for me to understand the truths that He desires to do in and through me. So that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control would pour forth in my life for others to receive and to understand that what nurtures the plant is Christ Himself. If we just stop quenching and grieving, if we stop asking amiss for selfish reasons, and let God do His work in and through all of us, but I know it's hard Listen what Jesus says. He says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. They're saying, ah, understand in context what we're talking about here. Your desire, my desire, is to have him more in my life. That's what I hunger and I thirst for. 
See, God desires to put truth into his word for you and I to say, Lord, you said. If you don't feel God's love this morning, then I challenge you to go before his throne and say, God, you said that you love me. Teach me about your love. challenge you. I'm learning something. Gosh, I wish I learned things when I was younger. Why is it when you're older you start things starting to dawn on you? It's like, oh, it's true, huh? See, so many times I've been struggling to be a warrior. And then I just started one simple prayer. Lord, you teach me to be a warrior? Now it begins to open up. Teach me, Lord. Teach me about your love. Teach me about your faithfulness. Help me be a a student that desires to learn. Because I know that everything in Christ is yes and amen. Yes and amen. Abide in me. Let my words abide in you. Let this truth bubble up, come forth, spring forth. Let it splash all over other people. Let not anything cause you to cause your eyes to turn upon yourself. Let all bitterness, all strife, all unforgiveness be taken away. Let your eyes be upon me and let the truth of my word fill your heart so that your heart may accept and embrace the truth I am giving to you this morning. God would say to each of us that I love you. It's settled. Now accept it. Now walk. In my love and stop trying to compare yourself with others. Stop looking at your life as a disappointment. Do you not know that your life is a breath and that is it? Seventy years, David said, maybe. And he said it's a vapor and it's gone. Do you not know that all of this is just for a simple truth? To discover the one that created you has a purpose. He has a plan. And may I say this morning is so that you and I would understand His love for you. (laughs) For this reason, Paul would say, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and persuaded that He is able to keep what I have committed to Him until this day. So according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. (laughs) I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you thirst this morning? Does your heart ache? 
for love, for truth, then it's been already given to you. The challenge again is to go before the one who loves you completely. And to ask, Lord, teach me about your love. And fill me with your spirit. Overflowing. Let it more pour out and give water to the masses. Not for them to look at me. Who looks at a rock? You and I are just rocks. Oh, but the water that flows out of it? That's the life producing. That's the sustainer. That's the quencher. And that's what God desires to do in your life. In my life. Amen? Would you stand with me? But beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, to eternal life. And some have compassion, making distinction. Others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to Him, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Father, I pray that this benediction, doxology of Jude, be true in our hearts. Lord, Your Word says it. This morning we read it. We heard it. We receive it. We believe it. We know these things to be true. Our prayer, Lord, is that we would comprehend these things and grasp it and take hold of it. That we learn it by experience. That we'd seek it through the One who did the work in and through and for us. That it is His purpose for us to bear fruit in His name. And it's His water. It's His nourishment. It's His Word. It's His truth that we desire to accept and receive this morning. Lord, if there's areas that we need to be taught, then teach us. If there's areas that we need to let go of ourselves, Lord, my prayer is help us to let go of ourselves. Let Your love that has been poured into our hearts that Your Spirit would take Your love and everything else that the Spirit is using to conform us into the image of Christ. Let His work be unhindered this morning and throughout this week. My prayer is for each of us 
is not let go of this truth this week. And may it change our lives for the rest of them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.